0: He's not calling Betty overdramatic or unreasonable because he knows she's not and she knows she's right. She's justified in her feelings. it can be hard to admit that when you're the one that was wrong and that's taking the first step. This is a song of forgiveness. And I feel like the good lesson here is just ask for it even if you don't receive it.
1: Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. This is a longer episode than I've done in a while. The reason for that is because my sister Felicia Russell and I are talking about wisdom from folklore, the surprise eighth album of Taylor Swift that came out in July of 2020, and that Felicia and I became, I would say, progressively obsessed with as the second half of 2020 rolled on, along with... A lot of other people in the world. Felicia and I decided to sit down and just go song by song and talk about the themes in the songs, do some close reading, and also share our personal connections and associations and stories that relate to what the characters in these songs are going through. So we talk about themes like unlived lives, infatuation, forgiveness, apologizing, anger, people-pleasing, anxiety, mental health, creativity. I mean, if you love folklore, I think you'll really like this episode. If you haven't listened to it, maybe give it a whirl. And I think even if you haven't listened, hopefully we've given enough context that you'll have an idea of what each song is about, and then you can focus in on the themes that we are unpacking. Honestly, we could have done an episode per song, So we exercised quite a bit of restraint in just keeping it to two episodes. This is part one, and I'll be sharing part two next week. It was super fun to just get to spend time with my sister talking about something that we love. And also, it was really interesting for us to be able to share our different perspectives. She's 20 years old, I'm 29, so we're both at the bookends of this particular decade and sharing our perspectives from those vantage points. And that was really fun. I feel like I got to know Felicia and I got to know myself a little bit better through these conversations about folklore. If you want to share your thoughts with me about folklore, about the episodes, if you have feedback or suggestions for perennials or anything you want to share, please feel free to email me at perennialspodcast at gmail.com or find me on Instagram and message me there at perennialspodcast. Thanks for listening, Felicia. Welcome to Perennials. Hello, I'm so glad to be back. <laughs> it's great to have you back. Today we're talking about a little album. You may have heard of it. A little obscure. I don't know. It's pretty. I was going to say it's an pretty obscure, obscure indie album that we found, you know, in the back of an old record shop. I think we're the
0: only ones who know about it. So this will be good to give this, this new artist some exposure.
1: Exactly. We really wanted to bring attention to an album that really just, I don't know, it just went went under under the radar radar in 2020. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that album is Folklore by Taylor Swift. Is that how you say it? Folklore by Taylor Swift. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we're going to talk about wisdom from folklore, from the text itself, Mm -hmm. right? I have, yes, I have my notes at the ready. Okay. So the first track is appropriately the one. (laughs) Yep. And it opens with those lines. I'm doing good. I'm on some new shit. Mm -hmm. Been saying yes instead of no. Mm -hmm. I mean, very, a very appropriate way to open, to open an album, album, (laughs) a, to open like, an album that's a very different type of album for her with a new collaborator during an incredibly different I was gonna say, time period, period <laughs> of a pandemic.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, this song has a sense of melancholy to it and yet a sense of hope, but it's also very mature. Like yeah. she's looking back on a, I mean, you could say failed relationship, but she's sh- showing her fondness. Mm-hmm. And she's reflecting on like the good times she had with this one, with this one.
1: <laughs> There's like those lines throughout of like the greatest films of all time were never made. Greatest loves of all time are over now. What could have been, what was, what never will be. Mm-hmm. It kind of gives you that sense of everything is temporary. Yeah. And it's not
0: here to stay. She's reflecting on her life and she's pondering on it, but she's not letting it. It's not dwelling. Yes. It's just kind of that. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. It sets the tone for the whole album, I feel like. The rest of the album is like telling a story and like, let's mm. let's spend the day daydreaming
1: mm. different, different stories. This song really kind of speaks to the theme of unlived lives as we go through life, especially as we get older. There are certain paths that we don't go down or can't go down. Or certain things that we have to say no to or that don't work out. And I think this song in its maturity and its hopefulness, but also melancholy, it has all these different shades of what it's like to wonder about an unlived life. Like what if this relationship had worked out and in her songs that she wrote when she was younger I feel like Taylor Swift she's so expressive and she almost kind of leaves nothing unsaid and Mm -hmm. this song is more restrained like the speaker is saying I resist the temptation to ask you if one thing had been different Mm -hmm. would everything be different today so there's like a maturity and a restraint to know that just because it could have been fun if he had been the one (laughs) it doesn't mean that that's how it should be or that anything's wrong with how her life is Mm -hmm. now, but it's sometimes we just wonder. So I was curious, you're only 20 years old, (laughs) but at this point in your life, are there already certain things that you're like, Hmm, what if I had done this or hadn't done this? Are there any unlived lives in your mind? As soon as you kind of started to say it, it made me think of like, I took dance
0: classes like on and off from the time I was probably like, like I took them like when I was five through seven and then like nine, like nine years old. And then I just took them again from like 11 to 12. And that year when I was 12, I remember I went to like this really nice dance school that was like really serious about dance. Specifically I went for ballet because I'd also done like ballroom dancing and like other like jazz stuff but this one was I was doing just ballet and I really really loved it like my first love has always been the stage and of course there's that in ballet and but like specifically acting and theater but I loved ballet too like I would go in sometimes and just feel really I don't know at 12 I felt really elegant doing ballet (laughs) like something you don't feel as a 12 year old in your everyday life. In the middle of my dance lessons, I got cast in Ragtime at Count Basie, and there was going to be a few weeks where where rehearsals would overlap with my class, and that was kind of when mom pulled me aside and was like, okay, you're going to be able to finish, you know, and do both, but maybe this is time to start thinking, like, do you really want to just start to focus on theater and, like, drop other you know, after school activities, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'll do ragtime And like, I want to focus now specifically on acting and theater and like just that. So from time to time, I, I'll think like, oh, what if I had done point and like, like had gone a little further in dance, like where would I be? Like, would I have started to take more types of dance and would I have done less theater? Here's the thing on my resume I put myself as a enthusiastic mover (laughs) which is theater code for I can't dance so (laughs) I'm the person in the background who stands and claps along or like honestly in theater sometimes you fake it till you make it maybe I would do like more dancey roles like 42nd street or like Chicago or Mm. like Fosse and like also going to audition, I feel like I'd go more into audition for professional stuff in New York because when they're looking for people, they want someone who can do everything. And like, mm. like, I feel like I'd go to more calls and I'd get more opportunities for shows if I could do more dance. But I always focused more on acting and singing. But then again, because I focused more on acting, I got more into doing straight plays and I did my first adult role was a straight play, which I'd never really done. So
1: there's that. When I was younger, I, well, not just when I was a little kid, I mean, for a long time, I had so much separation anxiety that I didn't do activities. I I have this very distinct memory of how in, I want to say fifth or sixth grade, some of my friends, girls that I took the bus to school with they all did the rec softball team and I was really intrigued and I wanted to do it, but hold I, on, wait a
0: second. Mm-hmm. A Russell
1: kid doing a sport. I was intrigued by <laughs> sports. Like dad and I would go out We
0: looked from afar.
1: We would go out into the backyard and he would like, we'd play. you know, he would toss a wiffle ball. I had a, I had a wiffle bat. And we'd do that and or we'd dribble a basketball. And I was like, this is fun. I, I like this. But yeah, I mean, we weren't, I was, I was always, you know, a a bookworm and I did dance classes and I didn't see myself as being able to be athletic. But but I was intrigued and I wanted to do it. But I, I was held back, I think, by my anxiety. And also I'm sure by some self-doubt of, oh, I'm not, I'm not a sporty kid. I can't do that. But I remember being so sad watching my friends go to practice, or I think maybe they didn't take the bus on certain days because they had to go to practice. So I was walking home alone, or they would be talking about the game or talking about getting ice cream afterwards. And I remember being very sad. And I wonder too, like how that might've affected my confidence or affected my social confidence my confidence in my own abilities and what's interesting is another part of the song is she says she says i guess you never know never know and if you never bleed you're never going to grow and it's all right now and i can sit here now and say it's all right now like i i can use that experience even now at 29 years old like i'm not doing rec softball But when something does come up that I want to do, I think all of those times that I didn't say yes, I remember that when it comes to podcasting or, you know, practicing guitar, there are things that I'm really like, I would have loved to have learned to play guitar when I was younger. And I wonder about that too. Like, what if I had started really young, gotten a teacher and stuff like that? But I am motivated to like keep trying now. So I started playing guitar
0: at, I think I was about to be 18. So again, like older. And I always wonder that too, but like things take time. And I yeah. think like up until a few months ago, I couldn't even do like, you know, the only strumming I could do was like going down. I couldn't even go up and down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, and I'd been playing for what, two, three years. So yeah, I think I started to learn like, yeah, things take time. Uh, And you got to put the effort in.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And by the way, I wouldn't have started teaching myself guitar. If I hadn't seen you teaching yourself guitar. Are you serious? I'm, I'm so serious. Like I distinctly remember it was so inspiring to me when I saw you like posting little videos of learning and then I was like, wow, Felicia's doing this. Like she's teaching herself. She's watching videos. Like maybe I can too. like, look at how much progress she's made. Like maybe I can do it. And I really wouldn't have done it if I hadn't seen you do it. So
0: thanks for being
1: an inspiration to me. (laughs) You're
0: welcome.
1: And you know, I think I feel that way kind of about folklore too. I don't know about you, Mm. but it's something that It's inspiring to me, like, oh, look at all these stories and all this creativity. Like, it just makes me want to create, too.
0: I feel the same way. Whenever I listen to Folklore, I feel inspired to, like, do something, put something out into the world.
1: Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the next song that is Cardigan.
0: (laughs) You hear the first few notes, and I think, oh, shit, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) This is our introduction to Betty and the Game.
1: Right. There's the three, (laughs) the trinity of songs that are all related, that are all from different perspectives of a love triangle. Mm -hmm. And this is the first introduction to the first perspective. Cardigan, but son by Betty. The character is Betty. Yeah. Character Betty. (laughs) It's one that definitely grew on me. And Mm -hmm. the first time I heard it, I wasn't like hooked immediately. I was intrigued. And it's like this very smoky... Kind of like mysterious, but again, like it also has that that feeling of someone looking back on something who's older and wiser, mm-hmm. looking back on a younger time. Yep. And there's this sense of yeah, of like youth and wisdom colliding. Even as a teenager, she had some wisdom because the yeah. whole thing is like when you are young, they assume you know nothing. Yep. But I knew you, and I knew you'd come back to me. Knowing when the thrill expires, you'll come back to me. She's cursing his name. She's definitely in pain over what he's done, but she has this underlying I knew you'd come back to me. This idea could be super delusional, could be a fantasy, could be wishful thinking. But somehow, even before I heard the song Betty, in which James does come back to Betty and apologize. I kind of trusted Betty's perspective, her assessment of the situation, maybe because of kind of the measured tone, the kind of restraint that she shows in the song, but it does sound like she really knows. And I, but I think it's, it's worth noting that that idea of like, ah, oh, uh, you're going to come back to me could also be a delusional and immature thing. I think it's all so dependent upon the situation how in tune you really are with the reality of what's going on.
0: What's interesting is she's not really talking about her feelings and her sadness, but she's, she's spitting facts and predicting the future Mm -hmm. because she really is. She's kind of just saying, saying, this is what happened. And this is what I feel like is going to happen. And she's right. When you're young, they assume you know nothing. We'll get into it eventually, but it very much parallels. I'm only 17. I don't know anything. Yes. Yes. Of course. Of so course. it just shows the difference in their
1: characters. I feel like. And I was just thinking of myself at 17 and how I had so much black and white thinking and so much impatience, not impatience as in ready for the next thing, because I never wanted the next thing to happen. I never felt ready for the next step, <laughs> but impatience for everything to just be okay. Like no patience for things feeling out of whack for things, being unstable for feeling like groundless and being so black and white in my thinking of like, I would have been like, well, if someone cheated on me, I would never, ever, ever get back together with them. Or that makes them a bad person or, you know, like not a lot of forgiveness for people being human and making mistakes. It's not to say that like you necessarily should wait for someone or forgive someone, it's such a personal choice. It so depends on the circumstances, but like, if you're in a relationship for long enough, there are going to be things you have to forgive. And I just really appreciate the speaker of that song really seems to understand that there's a difference between a thrill and something that's real, which I don't think I totally genuinely in my bones understood when I was young either. So I was just reflecting on like, how would I, have stacked up at 17 compared to Betty. I did not have any of that perspective that Betty displays in that song. The other two songs in this trilogy are August and Betty. I think that Betty has this very youthful sound, that song. That one has the most youthful sound. And it's this, from the perspective of James, who cheated on Betty with the girl in August and in yeah who people sings- call her just August yeah sometimes, and so. he is now going to show up at Betty's party and apologize and try to get her back which and- again is very youthful to me because that seems like a
0: very preteen teenager thing to do
1: mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to show up at her party <laughs> yeah and I'm going to apologize in front of everyone mm-hmm it makes me think of, I know that this is before your time, but I don't know if you were ever in the room when Ananda and I were watching. Um, there's the fame, infamous scene from the OC where Seth Cohen <laughs> uh, jumps up on a coffee cart and declares his at school and declares his love for Summer Roberts <laughs> in front of the whole school. And she takes his hand and steps up onto the coffee cart with him and like, kisses <gasps> him and you know, that's like what the this public, feels like. the public declaration, the public mm-hmm. apology—that's what yeah. Betty is. It's like with the the big promposal things. Like I don't know, there's just yep. something in teen folklore, dare I say, <laughs> about public displays, which I mm-hmm. think in real life would be humiliating. Yes, but in like much movies so. and shows and stuff, they seem romantic. But I think in real life, they I would, would be humiliating. In
0: real life, I would hate it if a man stood on the bleachers and started to sing yeah while I was at soccer practice
1: <laughs> but um, if it's Heath Ledger doing it if for it's Julia Heath Ledger, Styles.
0: yeah it works but in real life I don't know man even if he did tip the the marching band to get in on it yeah Betty that song just
1: makes me cry <laughs> I knew it. I mean for a while there every single time I listened to it I cried and it's funny now you can kind of hold it together, but there's just something about the lines. I'm only 17. I don't know anything, but I know I miss you. Mm -hmm. That's when I start crying. Yep. This is a song of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the good lesson
0: here is this is the most youthful sounding song, but it's kind of got maturity in it too, where it's like, it's forgiveness. Like just ask for
1: it, even if you don't receive it. Yep. Just asking for forgiveness. The whole song is about how he doesn't know how she's going to respond Mm -hmm. but he's going to apologize
0: anyway he's not calling Betty over dramatic or unreasonable Mm -hmm. because he knows she's not and she knows she's right she's justified in her feelings it can be hard to admit that when you're the one that was wrong and that's taking the first
1: step and he says the worst thing I ever did was what I did to you like he's acknowledging Mm -hmm. and what's interesting is he also gets humanized a little bit because even though yeah. he's not making excuses you get a little bit of this explanation of like they were at a school dance and he doesn't yep. like school dances cuz he doesn't like the crowds and he saw her dancing with another guy and <laughs> it's not an excuse it doesn't well, make it bad, okay it <laughs> doesn't make it okay not an excuse but like you get a little bit more of like okay what was going on for this 17 year old guy yeah. james loki sucks for playing August and Betty like that but he
0: has a nice I again that's the thing what's nice about it is you don't have to forgive him but he's making the effort to apologize how are you with forgiveness I mean it depends you know depends what it is I think I've I've maybe some of it is because I'm the fourth kid and like there's so much people in my life I've just known forgiveness all my life because it's like oh, that's your sibling. They, they, you know, stole your toy and uh, say, I, I'm sorry. You know, like it's something that's always been there. And because I've learned a lot more patience, I feel like since our sister, Amanda has had kids. Cause when they were born, I was uh, when Lyle was born, I was 13. So I was pretty young and I hadn't had any, I mean, Sophia was seven, so she was young, but it felt different to be older and to be around younger kids. Cause when Sophia was born, I was only six or about to be six. Um, But then to be older and to have, to have patience for like children and learning, like again, with like forgiveness, like learning, okay, It's not Teddy. I'm. This isn't like real per se. But to give an example, like, okay, it's not Teddy's fault that he doesn't know how to use scissors, or he actually does. It's not Teddy's fault that he can't. You know, this, this, and this. He's only two. So I think it's kind of, you know, learning to be patient and learning to forgive and learning to be patient with someone. I feel like is a is an interesting take that I've I've taken from Betty. What about you? asking
1: for forgiveness. Are you good at that?
0: Um I yeah, I'm getting better at it. I feel like you get better at it as you get older. I mean, well, here's the thing, and I feel like maybe we you can relate because we're both sensitive cancers, that if I ever felt like something happened, I would cry. Uh especially with like friends, if I feel like I'd hurt them, I'd be like, "I'm so sorry." So but maybe it was about also like, was I really looking for forgiveness yet? Or was I just wanting to not be hated or like, I didn't want someone mad at me. Um, so there's like forgiveness and then there's uh, and apologizing. But then there's like true apologizing, which I think I've gotten good at. And uh, because I've, I'm such a sensitive person, I think I've always been, there's always been, a have always apologized and stuff. And I've learned what apologizing is, but I mean, for me, I've also learned, like, I'm not going to apologize. I'm not to sound bad or whatever, but I'm not going to pol- apologize now if I don't need it, or I'm not going to apologize if I want some time to simmer and like, you know, like there was one time recently, I think when I was kind of mad at Sophia, Her sister. our sister, our yes. Or was yeah was it Sophia? I don't know. I can't remember the specifics. But like we got mad at each other for some stupid thing, and instead of immediately like I felt bad afterwards, and it's, but instead of immediately going up and like making up with her, I was like, no, you know what? It's okay for me to kind of just sit here with this feeling because I'm mad, and it's not wrong for me to feel mad, and um, immediately have to forgive or apologize. I feel like you don't have to do it right away. Um, cause I feel like it's better if you kind of go through the feelings and then once you've reflected, that's when you go in and patch it up.
1: Like you, I think there are a lot of times when I can think of myself asking for forgiveness, but really I'm asking for the other person to just make me feel okay again, because I don't want to be bad or I don't want them to see me in a certain way. And I think it definitely takes feeling fundamentally okay about yourself and good about yourself generally to really be able to own when you make a mistake or when you've hurt someone or when you've acted in a way you regret because if you just feel bad about yourself for me anyway, I often just feel deep down fundamentally kind of bad about myself. And so it's really hard to own up to things sometimes because you can immediately feel like, well, I'm a terrible person. Exactly. And it's like, (laughs) and when you don't have belief in yourself, your fundamental goodness, and also your ability to grow and change and do better then everything just feels like an indictment and. And then it makes it really hard to forgive other people. So I project stuff onto Martin, and I'll find myself sometimes holding on to something too long. And then I just think, like, hold on, if the shoe were on the other foot, would he be criticizing me like this or going on about this thing, or would he let it go? I'm like, why am I really holding on to this thing? Often it's because of fear that I'm going to be hurt. Even if that hurt is like, he makes a mistake driving and I get upset because I'm afraid we're going to get into an accident. You know, there's so many ways that that can come out. It's just an interesting thing that I'm trying to learn more and more about, like forgiving myself and forgiving other people, just like having a little more grace and acceptance of being human and making mistakes, even like the big mistakes, you know, Betty ends on a cliffhanger and you don't know if she
0: forgives him and if she doesn't like that's okay she doesn't have to right now because she was hurt and but it's it doesn't mean he didn't have to ask for forgiveness because that's a stepping stone to healing and patching stuff up but I like that it's kind of open and it's like well will she forgive him maybe not today maybe in a month maybe in two months maybe in a year I think that's something great about that song yeah you know you have this song that is showing hi- him kind of maturing and growing up but yet it almost in this song kind of paints August like she's some kind of temper temptress slash siren mm-hmm. that persuaded him or got or made him falter like when the line she said James get in
1: yeah like she and I just find that him. so
0: Right. It's like, well, he, like he's taking responsibility, but in that one line, it's kind of like, well, she said James get Yeah. I don't know. I just find it so interesting that yet still there's a this, little bit like, of that.
1: Yeah. It could even be a subconscious kind of right thing. And you know, what's interesting too, is like, this is, mm, I'm not sure about this. I'm going to say it. <laughs> Maybe one of the only songs on this one that is, like, so in the moment, as opposed to looking mm, back. So yeah. many of them are... At least one of the only. Yeah. Yeah. It, at, and certainly in comparison to uh, Cardigan and August. Yeah. Like, it's so in the moment. And, and so it's like a cliffhanger, you know, almost. I think it's
0: interesting, too, because, like, August and Cardigan are very much... And again, this is kind of stereotypical, but I think it's just interesting how it's the two girls and they're reflecting with their wisdom. Mm -hmm. And yet Betty, he's kind of just in the action. He's in. Yes. He's very quick to just
1: act. And I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's impulsive. What he did to hurt her was impulsive. And now how he's apologizing is a little bit impulsive too. Exactly. So let's move to August now. Oh, I, feel my, like, I, feel oh, like, I feel like, the, I feel like the heavens open
0: up. When, wait, I'm gonna, I can't. Okay. I know
1: the first time I heard August, I was like, shut the front door. <laughs> like there is nothing, nothing. There is nothing. I love more in this world than a perfect pop song. Yes. And that is what this is. Oh,
0: when I, for, I <sighs> did I tell you to listen to it? I don't remember. Possibly, I, probably. I think I might have been like, probably, Tori. yeah. Oh, you know what happened? I think I listened to folklore and I was like, Tori, track number eight, track eight, track eight, <laughs>
1: eight, because I we have very much the same style, and I knew. Yeah, I was like, it's August. To it's me, the, one. the song August, <sighs> the one, it's incredibly redemptive of the <sighs> other woman trope. Right? It's like, yes. no, there's no such thing as just the other woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, Taylor Swift said in, in the Pond Studio, you know, film, like everyone is a human being who wants to be seen, who wants to be loved. Like, and August is the song where this other woman, you know, we get to see her as a full human who really thought that she had something special with this yeah. person that he wanted her and was going to be with her. And. So it's very redemptive. And it's interesting, again, in terms of Taylor Swift's maturation, you know, we go from her song Better Than Revenge, where she went oh. went after, <laughs> you know, the, the, the girl that she saw as having like stolen her man. Now go stand you know? in the corner
0: and think about what you did.
1: Yeah. And now we have her <laughs> writing this perspective uh, that's very redemptive. And then I just think it's a song full of like so much longing, you know? <gasps> I mean,
0: we're analyzing the lyrics here, but something about that is in the music, yes. the actual music. Yes. When I was listening to it today to kind of get into the mood for mm-hmm. this recording. And when it gets to the part where she's like, Remember when I pulled up and said, get yeah. in the car? <laughs> I love how you're, yep. 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 <laughs> it's just because it, you're kind of going through the whole song. And then when it gets to that, I just feel like my heart starts kind of picking up and you're yep. just, and it's all building up to this one moment where it's like, because you weren't mine to lose. Yep. And then you just let it out. Cut to us in your car this past summer. <laughs> yeah. Driving through the parks. Yeah. And you're like, we were almost home after getting ice cream wet. And we were like, let me just get, I just got to, let me just put this on real quick. Yeah. Um, because I feel like it's, it feels very cinematic too, especially when yes. the, the
1: strings come in at that part. Oh And I love like the thing that, so that, yeah, there's this like sweeping sound. You're getting swept away with her as she's, and again, it's like someone looking back on something, but Mm -hmm. there's the immediacy of like what she felt in that moment of when she was with him of like the connection, the, the preoccupation, the infatuation, the longing for what could be. And then there's the nostalgia and wistfulness, you know, of looking back on what was and what wasn't. So there's all that playing with time and all that like longing of in the moment and then after the moment. And that's something that I think pop music can also do really well. It's like that Carly Rae Jepsen, call me maybe before you came into my life. I missed you so bad, bad. which I'll never forget dad being like, that doesn't make sense.
0: That's funny enough when I heard that, because I didn't realize Everyone was like, that's so weird. But when I first heard that line, I was like, yes. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. It's like a feeling, which is
1: really hard to... De- it's a feeling. It's not something you can describe. They're both very romantic people. Yes. Like Their songs heavily suggest that they are very romantic people. Are
0: you trying to say the next episode we will be analyzing dedicated. Oh my God. Felicia,
1: you know (laughs) that my dream 30th birthday party this summer in my backyard with my vaccinated friends is just listening to dedicated and dancing really. So some of those really great pop songs about falling in love or wanting to fall in love or whatever have like both the ecstasy and the longing for something Mm -hmm. that like you never can actually really have. It's like beyond. Or you don't even know it. Like you don't really know what what it is. Yeah. And I feel like also in terms of kind of that youthful thing, but also just a human thing, what really got me about August was the lines wanting was enough. Yeah, For me, it was enough. And then back when I was living for the hope of it all, Yep, I think there's something especially about when you are well, kind of like right where you are. (laughs) I was going to say, it feels
0: like that's kind of why I I love this song. Even not, it doesn't have to be romantic, but that line in general. Yeah. It's like right before you, you know, like you're right before you get to the top of a a mountain or something like you're, you're there and you want it, but you know what, you don't know what it is or you don't know when it, when it is.
1: And you're at a point in your life when like so so many things still could happen and you haven't gone down. It's like, well, I could marry anyone. I could do any mm-hmm. job. I could go anywhere to school or I could like whatever all these things are. And as you move through life, you start to, you have to, you go down certain roads. It's not to say you don't turn yep. or do a different. It's not that everything's just, Oh, set but you in have stone to start. Now. but like <laughs> you have to start, you have to take certain roads. And then you, because of that, have to say no to certain things. Like things just start to happen. And there's something about being poised in that place of like living for the hope of it and wanting being enough and living for like the wanting and the hoping. You know, there's still a lot of fantasy and involved and maybe even delusion. Who knows? Yeah. So that just I don't know. That part just really got me because I feel I've always really resonated with that feeling of living for the hope of something and being kind of in in fantasy and in yeah she kind of loves the idea of him Mm -hmm.
0: and the idea of being with him
1: I I don't think it it was
0: it wasn't hard for her to fall for him because she just wanted that feeling and because deep down she may have known he wasn't hers to begin with right so how can she lose him when it wasn't really hers. Did she know about Betty? Again, right. something we don't really know. Right. I get the feeling that August, the character, knows loss
1: mm. or has, has been
0: through loss before. Because mm. something about it, again, just feels so
1: nostalgic and like reflective. A whole song for me is a song of like reflection. There's definitely something about her wanting him and being so preoccupied with him or the idea of him Mm -hmm. that she's willing to cancel all her plans just in case he calls not even because he called but because he 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 might call oh boy have I done that and then (laughs) and then but there's this innocence to her too and what that I really like because maybe I mean Betty doesn't there's nothing in in cardigan about Betty saying oh that stupid other woman or whatever but Mm -hmm. that could easily be the narrative of her being this like like you said, there's a little bit of that, oh, temptress thing in, in the song, Betty. I mean, it, it, again, it kind of goes against
0: those stereotypes. right? Like it paints them and then it's kind of goes against them. Because with Cardigan, you get the idea, oh, the, she's very innocent. She's very the girl next door, the one yes. you take home, the one you yes. marry. That's Cardigan. Mm-hmm. And then August, especially because August kind of has like, but never have I ever before is another very like,
1: Yes, that's what I was going to point Allusion to. Allusion to a teenage. Yes. She's
0: inexperienced. And she, again, it has that underlining of sexuality. Mm-hmm. But still, August is very, because it says never have I ever before. Like, she. she it's, again, going against the double standard yes. of like. There's the
1: innocence. Well, she's,
0: the, she's the experienced one. She's the, uh, you know, mature girl. She looks older than me. She So he wants her. Because yeah. she's willing to do this with him. But that's not it. Because meanwhile,
1: she's very insecure and is still very innocent and naive. Yes. And what I find interesting about Cardigan is actually, even though, yes, like I have that image too of like, oh, her name is Betty and she's the mm-hmm. one that you go back to and marry. But there's something so smoky and seductive about that yep. song. And so, Sensual politics. Yeah. Black lipstick or is it mm-hmm. black lipstick? Black and lipstick. Like, high heels on cobblestone and just the sound of it is smoky and she's saying i knew i knew i yep, knew yep. like she has a knowing beyond her years which august i think she has a naivety about her yeah for sure so many people have been at a different time in their life every character in that story like we all want to believe that people don't do x y and z but i think i can think of people i know closely who i admire who have been every single character in the story. And I wanted to name that too, because I think so people can carry a lot of shame and think like, oh, I should only be, like Taylor Swift for a long time only sang songs from the perspective of the Betty character, of the one who was wronged. But over time, starting with Back to December, actually her apology, her first apology song, but it was still a bit of an anomaly. Don't even, back to... <laughs> Back to December. That's a we could do a whole podcast just on that song. But yeah, starting
0: from there, I think. Yeah. And that was
1: what her third album. But still, yeah, I think over time, you know, it might not be the most extreme version, you know, of each of those characters. But you may have had different versions of kind of being a shade of each of those characters. Or we all have different parts of us. So I just really like the redemptive nature of hearing all those different perspectives and having all of them humanized because they are all human
0: and not not one of them is like the villain
1: right yeah uh
0: we have the last great american dynasty this song is one that again grew on me and then now i listen to it and i i cry um same
1: it totally grew on me (laughs) as well because
0: i first heard it and i was just like "Eh." but now i hear it and i'm like here we go
1: I was blown away by the lyrics initially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wasn't as drawn to like, it doesn't have the same tonal like ambiance, I guess, Mm -hmm. as some of them. But from the beginning, I was like, whoa, this is a story. Yeah. And she's fitting a lot of words in here. And like, it's so (laughs) bright and springy. And like, so it's the story of Rebecca Harkness. Mm -hmm. And Bill, yeah. Who um, owned the house that Taylor Swift owns in Rhode Island mm-hmm. holiday house before Taylor Swift. It sat for 15 years. Un- I thought it was 50 in, or 50 years. Sorry. It's the mm-hmm. story of Rebecca and how she was kind of this raucous misbehaving, quote unquote, mm-hmm. troublesome, wacky, loved having a good time. Yep. One of my favorite things
0: now is to look up folklore songs that people have edited with movies and like classic literature period Mm -hmm. dramas, like Pride and Prejudice and Emma and Little Women. This one, I feel gives me a great Gatsby sense of feeling with all the parties and the big house. And also, I won't get too into it, kind of mirrors the song Mad Woman, I feel Mm -hmm. like. Like there's a double standard where she's judged for having a freeing lifestyle, where she likes to gamble and drink when a man is not judged for that. And she's the one that's blamed for everything, including Bill's ultimate death. Right. It must have been her fault his heart gave out. Right. Because, oh, she's crazy. Why would right. he marry her? She's
1: Again, very much like August, she's not the woman you marry because look mm-hmm. at her, she's she's a partier and whatever. And there's that line throughout of she had a marvelous time ruining everything. Mm-hmm. And of course, at the end, there's this <gasps> shift where... Taylor Swift reveals it's her house. It's her house. She bought the house. And then she says, I had a marvelous time ruining everything. I take from the song, people are always going to
0: judge you, especially back in the day, like, especially women are going to be judged. Rebecca's kind of a great role model, but also like she did steal her neighbor's dog and diet a key lime green. <laughs> but I was going to say, there's something you can learn and admire in her, like with her strength and her self love, Mm -hmm. like she's just unapologetically her. Yeah. She was an eccentric woman, but she had a great time. Exactly. She had a great time. And I think that's kind of something that's really nice about the song is like, you know, (laughs) like maybe not everything she did is so great, but there is something like a little bit, like I said, that you can admire that
1: she's just herself and she doesn't care. And what I think is interesting about Taylor Swift as a figure is like, you know, there's the whole documentary, Miss Americana, which I need to rewatch because I haven't watched it since it came out in 2020. And I watched it then. And, you know, it's kind of about her political awakening. And they also touched on like her um, testifying in court about a man who groped her and kind of this awakening of her, her using more of her voice and different parts of her voice like. She started as a teenage girl singing songs that she had written using her voice, but also not necessarily speaking up on political things on, Mm -hmm. you know, um, well, they say
0: in that documentary too, they're like, well, nobody wants to hear you talk about that. Just say, just talk about what you're good at.
1: And also you get the sense. So I'm going to, I'm going to touch on another song, which we can dive into more later, but in the song "Peace." where she's Mm. singing to, and she has spoken about how this one is very personal, singing to her boyfriend, Joe. She says some stuff like, I never had the courage of my convictions as long as danger is near. And she also says something like, your integrity makes me seem small. Mm. I talk shit with my friends. It's like, I'm wasting your honor. I hear her wrestling with like, I think there was definitely... A period when she was younger of her really trying to be like neutral and just be everybody's mm-hmm. friend and be super pleasing yep. and like not say anything controversial, not take any stands. A friend to all is a friend to none. Yeah. From Cardigan. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I think she really tried and you know, she like, she was known for having like the most friends in the world. Yep. Like she had this giant girl squad, even though she had a couple of feuds with other right. women.
0: But still, generally, it was like, just try to get along with everyone. Mm -hmm. Just be the likable girl.
1: For her, it feels like in the last great American dynasty that she's kind of more embracing Mm -hmm. being a wacky woman, being an eccentric woman, being a woman who wants to have a good time and not necessarily behave all the time. And this comes up, might be a good time to talk about, well, the two songs I think of along this topic are Mad Woman, like you started to bring (sighs) up. And then also Seven. But let's start with Mad Woman. Okay, Mad Woman is one that
0: I had—I always skipped. Uh, But now I've listened to it. Let's see. In this week, about five hundred (laughs) times. This is when it it hit me because this is track twelve that I could really say the entirety of Folklore is like about strength, Mm. and this one especially—it's prevalent in. But just, and I say like it's kind of her finding strength again. And then I also found, again, I love connecting art to other art. It very much made me think of, like, the yellow wallpaper. Yeah. Um, Because they say, if you say, I see I'm crazy, I'll get more crazy. What about that? Mm -hmm. If you say I'm angry, I'll get more angry. And, you know, she's crazy because they made her like that. And it's kind of like in the yellow wallpaper, she loses her mind. Yes, Gilman, Perkins, whatever. She starts to lose her mind because... They put her in that situation. Like she wasn't yeah. crazy.
1: And there's this whole genre. There are all these stories from the 19th century about women mm-hmm. being institutionalized. Yep. Their husbands wanted to get rid of them and they couldn't yep. divorce them.
0: Or even if they were having mental issues.
1: Right. It was just
0: because of how they were being treated. <laughs> exactly. And it was easier to just put them away instead of you know, back then mental health was not really in the forefront of everyone's mind.
1: (laughs) It's kind of wild how even, you know, in, we recently heard that interview with Meghan Markle talking about struggling with her mental health and in a way that really mirrored (laughs) Princess Diana before her, who also like struggled with self-harm and things like that, because she was struggling so much and couldn't get help and couldn't speak out. Taylor Swift has said that it's a song about gaslighting and about yep. how women have had to absorb men's behavior for yep. so long and just expected not to respond to it, yep. not not to respond in any way. And then if you respond, you get called angry, crazy, um, and derogatory things as opposed to, Hey, I'm responding to something you did.
0: Yeah. I also love here, like the double meaning where it's like, A mad woman. Because again, mad was like an olden term term for crazy. Right. But then she has the line, she should be mad. Yes. Like not crazy, she should be angry. And she mentions like a wife, whatever, she should be mad Mm -hmm. because she's of how oppressed she is and how silenced she is. And she's not, she's just kind of taking it all in.
1: There's a bit of a reckoning happening with women and anger and rage right now. I think there's still a long, long way to go, but there are mm-hmm. so I think anger is something that women are taught and told not to express, and that's not feminine. Bad. it's not <laughs> feminine. um and then but then meanwhile, like, I think certainly privately, lots of women do, yeah, either repress it a lot or are trying to and then explode exactly. um I like say I think everyone knows in private that women's anger does come out or it's eating them alive, you know, but yeah, the anger isn't, you know, isn't bad. It can fuel people right. wanting to make things right. It can fool fuel justice, but yeah, there's like a rage of not being able to express anger or not being able to act on things and make them right.
0: Anger feeds back into the, you know, hundreds, a hundred years ago and such if women were angry, those are the women that got put into institutions. Right. So it's like, well, you don't, don't be angry. You don't want to end up like her. Right.
1: And, and then even just like on the personal, personal level, it's so easy for someone to just say you're crazy. And, mm-hmm. and in the song, you know, she says, when you call me crazy, I get more crazy. How about that? Yeah. And it's like, Oh my gosh.
0: It's like when you say, Hey, just calm down.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to calm down. It's very <laughs> d- dismissive and diminishing. of someone's experience and someone just doesn't want to deal with it doesn't think it matters uh, the woman's Mm -hmm. experience so yeah it's a really fascinating song and the reason I think it ties in with seven seven actually was the first song that made me go like oh this is interesting
0: yes same I heard seven I thought oh this is a special piece yeah this is a special album
1: so, so seven is a song from the perspective of little Taylor, a little girl, <laughs> well, right? kind of adult though, reflecting on. Yes. Youth yes, too, definitely. Definitely. So there's like, there's kind of both. Yes. But it's like, yeah. Reflecting back on being seven playing out in, you know, by the Creek playing mm-hmm. outside in the woods with a little friend, thinking about that friend. But there's certain, like, the foreboding comes in with, Mm -hmm. and again, like, and kind of the threat of men, (laughs) abusive men. Well, there's the lines about, like, your dad is angry. Let's run away and you won't have to hide in the closet.
0: It captures childhood thoughts so well because she says, I think your house is haunted. Yeah. And that's why your dad is mad. Yes. It's kind of a child's explanation. I was like, why is he so angry? There, that house must be haunted. Right. And I just think that's, the whole song is kind of like that, that has, you know, childish, a childish outlook on everything.
1: And the part that really grabbed me was her saying, picture me in the weeds before I learned civility. I used to scream ferociously anytime I wanted.
0: Remember me as who I was when I was innocent and before the world kind of corrupted me me or or before I should say before society yeah before you learn um societal rules like I used to scream ferociously anytime I wanted yeah like it's you know when you're in public as a kid like oh be quiet like we're in Mm -hmm. a movie theater we're in a library before you learn any of that if you just want to
1: scream in your backyard Mm -hmm. you just do it and especially for girls you know it's like Taylor Mm -hmm. Swift came on the scene as this like you know she's blonde she's (laughs) thin she's conventionally attractive she wears she likes sweet dresses and like she sings songs about being like a princess and yeah yeah these very traditional these very traditional gender norms gender stories heteronormative all that stuff yeah (laughs) extremely feminine and the idea of like i used to scream ferociously Uh um is just every woman and every girl has in her parts that are not just the pretty parts. And I just, yeah. In terms of her kind of being more of a rounded, contoured, complicated human person, not just a pleasing. Yeah. Kind of makes me think of
0: like Lila and Violet. mm, It kind of makes me emotional because yes, our nieces. Um, who they, Lila's seven and Violet's six, because especially like, they are so wild and like, yeah. not, they're not even Tom, you know, the word tomboy, because like they love feminine things too. But when I see them in their backyard and they're just dangling from a monkey bar yep. or getting dirt on their face or, you know, their hairs. Is- unbrushed and crazy. Cause they're just playing like, mm-hmm. that's what I think of. And I think there's something so
1: beautiful about that line. Yeah. Cause especially
0: cause I can witness that now because they are the age that this song is kind of talking about.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting too. like, you know, this in the song, she says, I hit my peak at seven mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's fun. It is interesting to think back on yourself at seven. And like, I, I, I never, I don't have like a great, you have such a photo photographic <laughs> memory. I don't have a great memory. Um, but when I think of seven, like the first thing I think about is a trip that you were not alive yet. So, but uh, <laughs> mom, dad, me, our older sister, Amanda, and our brother, Jack, oh, we, are you going to say when you went to
0: South Carolina or North yeah, Carolina, we went to North yeah. and South
1: Carolina to visit family. And when we were in South Carolina, we went to visit my, our aunt. Lucy and uncle Rob, and they had two cats, Rusty and Greta. Mm -hmm. And Greta was super, super shy. And I loved cats, but we couldn't get one because Amanda was allergic. But I spent like the whole trip practically like sitting in this little mud room Mm -hmm. where Greta would hide just sitting there so that she would, she would feel comfortable. So eventually over, over time by me, just sitting there, she eventually came to me and I would pet her and, it was just, it just filled my heart with joy. Like I had so much patience to just sit there yeah. to, to just to be with this cat. And to me, it was, that was so worth it. And, and then when I still remember when we were leaving,
0: um, oh. the cat
1: came to the door and went like, and like stretched its little pot out. And I, my heart broke, you know, how sensitive I am. and was, <laughs> But it, like, when I think about that to me, I'm like, Man, there's something in that seven year old girl that I it's a different side. Like, I also there's the wildness and like that, right? I really connect with you know, with wanting to connect with that, but also like the yeah, just the there is something, yeah, patient and there was a value in that of just wanting to like connect with another with a creature and and wanting to be like a safe person and comforting. Yeah. Like, I don't know. There's something in that, that I'm like, I want to keep that part of me Mm -hmm. alive. And that's also a part in addition to the ferocity that she's talking about that gets squashed. I also think, I also think sometimes our sensitivity and our kindness and compassion and slowness and patience and nurturing in that deep way, that sensitivity also sometimes gets squashed out of us a little bit.
0: But I love seven so much. (gasps) <gasps> um I think we're gonna have to put a link to to my favorite edit that someone did which was with Greta Gerwig's Little Women mm. and the song seven because it also just fits because there's so many parts of them where they're just like in the woods but yeah. it opens with that they add in a clip of Joe and Meg it's right before Meg's getting married and Joe says I can't believe childhood is over and Meg says like well it was going to happen eventually and then it cuts. Oh, just the whole thing. It's so beautiful. And I just think it fits. in so, and that's kind of how I feel like what Seven is. Mm. It's sweet and melancholic, which I honestly is the whole vibe of folklore.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I-, I read some review and I can't, it might've been Pitchfork or something where someone mm. was like, she could have edited it down a little bit. Like we didn't need Seven. And I was like, what? Uh... Pretty sure that was a man who wrote that. I was just like, you don't get anything. Get out but- of here get out of here. You don't Later. know anything. Later. You're not my dad. Later. You're not my dad. Later. That's a reference to my brother, my brother and me. Okay. Let's talk about Mirror Ball now, because I think what we're talking about, Mirror Ball also hearkens to some of these themes because we've touched a little bit on like the figure of Taylor Swift and also mm. women in general kind of being pleasing being yeah. pretty uh-huh. you know and like last great american dynasty mad woman seven we're seeing different pictures of women women being eccentric being angry being ferocious but mirror ball, mirror ball.
0: <laughs> go ahead people pleaser mm-hmm. that's kind of what i take away from this and like i feel like the whole what i get from this song is like you can rely on me and It's, I think it's a beautiful thing. I always, I listen to it when I feel upset, kind of, because it feels like a shoulder to cry on. It's like, you can rely on me and it's okay to break down and kind of fall apart and like feel sad. Um, and it's like a, it's like a comforting, like you can be comforted by friends and that's okay. You don't always have Mm. to be put together. And then like, I think what's beautiful. She has hush it's comforting words that one would say like to a child Mm -hmm. like when she says hush when no one is around my dear and the way she says it like hush and she kind of goes out like that like it's it kind of reminds me of like good night moon when it's like hush Mm -hmm. um again it's just a very comforting word it it kind of pulls in I feel like to that
1: whole thing of comforting someone else what's really interesting so Taylor Swift said that this is the first song that kind of references the pandemic. Indirectly, Mm. I never thought of that, but yes. Mirror Ball is a song where there's an image of a disco ball, like in a Mm kind of like maybe like a lonely dive bar type place. Yeah. And it's this image of, I'm a mirror ball, you know, I'm here to kind of shine and glitter for you. And she said that she wrote this one right after like the lockdown started and her summer shows were canceled and everything, all the shows were canceled. Right. And She's kind of like, you know, what happens to a mirror ball, a disco ball, when you shut the lights off and everyone goes home, it's still up there. And in the bridge, there are the lines about um, burning the disco down, sending home the rodeo clowns. And that was like about everything shutting down. But, you know, she's still, and, and meanwhile, she writes this whole album because She's doing what she does. I just think there's so many layers to the song of, like you said, there is something comforting about that. And like, there's something comforting about her for to a lot mm. of people and a lot of different celebrities or public figures, artists that we do get comfort just from their presence. And we get comfort yeah. from the messages of some of their work. And at the same time, they're a human being who's constantly like performing. Yep. Like you said, she
0: has- when they send home the horses and the rodeo clown, I know they say the end is near, like does not giz- give up easily. Like is still going. Mm-hmm. And then also it says, I'm not a natural. Stop. I mean, keep going, but yeah. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> keep going.
1: <I'm> not- <laughs> this part just like really gets me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because what she. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: What is the line? I've never been a natural.
1: All I do is try, try, try.
0: I like she tries hard to be this type of person. And, and I am, I, you know, it's not just her. Like, I, you know, this can apply to anyone. Like, like you said, it's very relatable, but I've never been a natural. She's trying very, she tries very hard to be this person. Like, she's not, she's not naturally a performer and like a people pleaser. And like, mm. and, you know, people can be more. I feel like, you know, different personalities can be more likely to be people pleasers, but like, it's not, you do it. Cause you want to be, you want to, you want to be there for someone else. Like it's very selfless, but I also think you want validation. And I was going to
1: say, yeah, I'm still in that trapeze, trying everything to get you to look at me. Yes. Like look at me. So for one thing, yes, there's the comfort of that person. And like you said, like that in that that part where she says, I know they say the end is near, which by the way, like felt like it was the end of the world mm-hmm. when this was happening. So the end is near what meant a lot more than it might mean if that song yeah. came out at a different time. And she exactly saying, hush, like you said, doing that comforting thing, but the whole idea of I've never been a natural, all I do is try like, Like, she's talked about, like, I'm not really a good dancer, naturally. Mm -hmm. Like, her voice, her singing has improved a lot. Like, yeah, she's never been known as, like, the best singer, quote-unquote. She's not a vocalist like Ariana Grande, but she has a very expressive voice. And then over Mm -hmm. the years, she's gained so much control and even, like, range. Like, if you listen to her first, and granted, she was, like, a teenager, but... Yeah, her voice wasn't even done developing. (laughs) I think she does for whatever else you want to say about her, clearly she works and tries yeah. hard. And it's not necessarily just that she's like the most talented person in the world. I think she's always her work ethic. <laughs> he tries. And it's not to say like, of course, like lots of people work very hard at all sorts of things and they don't get like nearly an, that level of who could of success or, or (laughs) even, or, or recognition or compensation for working extremely hard. But it's just an interesting thing. I think for anyone wanting to do something creative, I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of times we frame it as like, oh, you're either born with it or you're not, you either have it or you don't. I think what she seems to have is a deep love for storytelling and definitely a knack for storytelling. And then she has, just, but there is effort
0: in there too. Yeah.
1: And work to get better at playing guitar, singing, dancing, like all the other things. Um, so I just find it very, I think it, she has said that that's like a very vulnerable lyric for her. Like she was like, is that too true? Like she almost didn't put it in. Yeah. Oh, I love mirror ball. And that one again,
0: makes me think of like, You've got mail. It sounds a lot like the cranberries, I feel like. Yeah, oh totally. And that opening
1: song. Yes. So another reason why I love it. <laughs> because we because we landed on that lyric about trying, maybe we should move to the other song that has try in the title. Yeah, this is me trying. I
0: love this is me trying. Okay. I feel this song in my soul with my anxiety. Yes. Same. This is a, not necessarily a romantic a song about a romantic relationship, which I love. And I think like anxiety in general, but especially like social anxiety, it affects those around you too. Yes. And this song seems to be like a huge step for the person singing it because they've showed up at this person's house to apologize, you know, whatever, make an effort. And that's the huge, that's a huge first step. Yeah. And I think that's just this whole song is like, and I love the very end when she's like, at least I'm trying. It's so the, it's so breathy. Yeah. And it sounds like she's so tired. Yeah. So exhausted. And that's what it feels like. Yeah. So when I hear this song, like at the end of the day too, and you just go through this whole day of you know, people with anxiety know you you always have anxiety in the back of your mind. And she just says, at least I'm trying Mm
1: -hmm. like, oh,
0: that hits hard. And it's she, the way she says it, she sounds like I said, she sounds tired and everything. And it just fits in so well. That's what I, what I feel like for, from this song.
1: Yeah. Her conversation with Jack Antonoff in the Lompon studio sessions film, they talk about, you know, she said she was thinking about people with addiction Mm -hmm. who, and he spoke about, you know, people with, with any sort of mental illness, and so you know, they spoke in the film about the idea that sometimes someone can be trying so hard and it still doesn't seem good enough to people yeah. on the outside, yeah. While on the inside, that person knows that they are doing their best so much, yeah. And, um, yeah, I just think anyone struggling with anything can relate to that feeling of like, and it's interesting, Jack Antonoff says he says, you know, what's funny or ironic is like the thing that connects us all as humans is like a lot of us often feel like our good, our best isn't good enough or like what we're doing isn't enough. And yet at the same time, that's what can make us feel really isolated, mm-hmm. but it's something that is so human to feel. Yep. Well, cause I
0: think that also relates to that line. All my cages were mental.
1: Yeah. Like you are the one that limits yourself. I got wasted like all my potential. Yep. Oh, It's just like devastating.
0: <laughs> I think the line pouring my heart out to a stranger it for me, I was like, Ooh, that makes me think of therapy. Yes. Because yeah, therapy, you work through it with someone who, you know, you're not, you know, I mean, you can have a good relationship with your therapist, but it's not your mom. It's not a relative. It's not a friend anxiety. It forces you to put your life on hold which, and while you can watch for me, like you watch everyone else develop and grow. Like when she says I was so way ahead of the curve, the curves became a sphere.
1: Yeah. And I think, what is it? Uh, all my wheels. I had the shiniest wheels. Now they're resting. Yeah. I've been having a hard time adjusting. Yes. Like it makes
0: me think back to like elementary and middle school where you kind of feel like I have so much to do. And then you, when you grow up, yeah, she says like everything kind of stopped. That's it feels like this song is like everything kind of stopped.
1: The line, um, it's hard to be at a party when I feel like an <laughs> open wound. I feel like so I mean, I often feel like the only person who feels like this, but I know I'm not. But
0: social anxiety. Yeah.
1: And <laughs> and just like when if you are suffering from depression or anxiety, addiction, whatever that might be, or like anything, anything that makes it hard for you to. Be with other people or to be celebrating or to yep. be relaxed, to be having fun. And, and that is such an interesting thing, even when like people can't maybe can't even tell on the outside, but on the inside, mm-hmm. you feel like an open wound and you're like, yep. oh, I'm supposed to have this like certain face on. I'm supposed to be making small talk or I'm supposed to be having a good time. And like, yeah, I might be young and I might be at a party, but I am not having a good time. Well, I think, and I can say from experience, I, we were at. Again,
0: kind of party we were at uh, a restaurant for I think Jack or Sophia's birthday. This was like a few years ago. And I got through it because before then I I would get so anxious going into restaurants and mm-hmm. like especially when it was our whole family because it's a lot of people. And there was one time I like totally freaked out. But this year that we went, I actually didn't and I got through the whole thing and I was fine. And then we walked out and our mom was like, "Wow, Felicia, you did really good. You look you had a great time and I was like mom I had the worst time ever <laughs> yeah. like yeah. I I felt great and I was proud of myself but at this she's like you didn't look anxious at all and I was like well that's nice to like it was comforting too like wow I got through it and she was like I wouldn't have known mm. if you didn't tell me because like I said like when you know and I think that's this whole song kind of is like it's so in your head yeah and you can kind of mask it and like And, um, again, back to that line, all my cages were mental. Like Mm -hmm. nobody would have known at this restaurant that I was like having a panic attack inside, but it was happening.
1: Yeah. And it is, it is really interesting that, that growing up element of it. Cause Mm -hmm. there are definitely times, you know, like I mentioned before that I'm almost 30 now where I'm like, Oh, I should be so much more together with like, (laughs) I should go to bed earlier. I should. Eat more vegetables. I should exercise more. I should be more punctual. Like there's just all sorts of things that I feel like I should be doing better or be more on top of, or that younger people than me are more on top of when they have their stuff together. And like <laughs> sometimes I just have to remind myself that I'm trying and I'm doing my best and it's okay. Well, to kind of I think of this is a good way to maybe
0: finish this song Mm -hmm. is like I've said the whole time the whole album has a sense of like melancholy to it yeah but this song is actually kind of got a bit of hope Hope to to it yeah because she says at least I'm trying yeah like she's at she's trying and she's gonna get there yeah Uh, or I should just say like the person or even
1: just that the person is saying is letting someone else know. I just wanted you to know that this is me trying. There's all, there is something about, they are trying to communicate and express to somebody else. And we don't know what that person's response is, but just the act of reaching out, the act of reaching out and trying to explain to someone is a brave act and a hopeful act. Like there's hope that they will understand.
0: Mm -hmm. And even just hope that you're you're growing and you're letting your, because again, like I'm holding myself back is what I feel like this song is. And they're taking that step with saying, at least I'm telling you, this is me trying.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or leave a review on Apple podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast or send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit a Moon by Paul Finn.